The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a good chance that you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's classic story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which the Pevensey children explore the land of Narnia. When the story begins, Narnia is ruled by the White Witch who has put the land under a curse, the curse that it is always winter, but never Christmas. Imagine always snow and cold, always the bleak palette of gray and brown, never warmth or joy or celebration, Always winter, never Christmas. As the story unfolds, the rumor spreads that Aslan is on the move. Aslan, the lion who has the power to defeat the witch. And long before Aslan makes an appearance, people see signs that he is coming. Namely, winter begins to thaw. Instead of cold powdered snow and ice, there's a drip here and a puddle there then little streams and sloppy slush. It's apparent to all, even if he hasn't arrived in all of his power and splendor, Aslan is breaking through the witch's curse, and spring is on the way. 
It's a fitting image for what's happening in our gospel reading for today. Jesus is making himself known. John the Baptist started the ball rolling by preparing the way, by declaring that the kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king was at hand. And last week you heard the king arrive as John pointed out the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now John is in prison and Jesus has withdrawn to Galilee. He's not exactly laying low. He's traveling throughout Galilee from town to town, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming his kingdom. In addition, he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He's taking all comers. He's healing them all. All the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, and paralytics too. Whatever the affliction, it's no match for Jesus. He heals them all. Each one of those wonders, each one of those healings is like that thaw in Narnia. Each healing and miracle is an announcement that the king is near, that sin and death and devil are losing their grip. Each one says that winter is over, that spring is on the way. Well, that's if we use the image of Narnia, but we need not stray from Scripture. Let's use the imagery of Isaiah 9, as Matthew does in our gospel lesson. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Imagine, oh, a group of miners trapped far underground by a cave-in, stranded, helpless, and in utter darkness. They wait, and first they hear the tools of the rescuers, and then a spot of light as a rock is displaced. And gradually the light increases as the rubble is moved away. It takes time as the rescuers work carefully, but eventually the tunnel is cleared enough that they have light. More than that, by that light, they can see a way out. Those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. If you've ever spent a cold night outside where you could have used one more layer of clothing, this one might really resonate. You're watching for the sky in the east to soften and blush. You're waiting for the sun to rise. And at first, the change in color is nearly imperceptible, and you think that your eyes deceive you. And it's still a long and shivery wait before the sun's rays strike you with warmth. But you know it's on the way. Now, Isaiah is not speaking of a cave-in or a cold night. He is speaking of death and the grave, that shadow in which all live because all have sinned. It casts a pall over everything. It haunts days. It overshadows lives. For all sinners, it is a darkness that cannot be overcome. And the outriders of death are diseases and pains and demonic oppression, injury, and more. There seems to be no escape in that darkness. But then Jesus comes along, and each healing and each miracle defies the darkness. 
Each gives hope that the night isn't the end. For each is an announcement that, as Jesus can defeat these outriders so handily, it is only a matter of time until he defeats death itself. With each miracle, the darkness is a little less, for in Christ, the kingdom of heaven dawns. It's a beautiful moment in our gospel reading, and look at where he does it. He's gone to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, not because he's afraid of getting arrested like John the Baptist, but because he's got an appointment at Calvary and prophecies to fulfill in the meantime. Among those prophecies, Isaiah has said that the Messiah will appear in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This is more than just a spot on the map. Galilee of the Gentiles has had a tough time. Near the end of the Old Testament, when empires come to invade Israel, the armies had no desire to cross the Jordan River to attack Samaria and Jerusalem. The preferred route for invasion was up and around the Sea of Galilee, then sweeping south, south through Galilee. More than once, that land was laid waste by conquering armies, serving as cannon fodder to slow down the invaders while the cities to the south prepared for siege. So Isaiah declared in his time that someday Galilee would be restored, delivered from the damage wrought by enemies. As it turns out in our gospel lesson, this restoration isn't just restoring what was lost to the hordes of Assyrians or Babylonians. It is not as if a stonemason arrives 500 years later and starts to rebuild the rubble brick by brick and stone by stone. No, instead, it's restoration from sin and death and grave. The Messiah himself arrives there in our gospel reading, and he undoes the damage wrought by sin. Healing by healing, miracle by miracle, wonder by wonder. Each one of these wonders is one more point of light that lightens the darkness and says that the reign of death is coming to an end. And since that is the case, the day of victory later looks a little disconcerting. For when Jesus defeats sin, death, and devil, he does so by shedding his blood and dying on a cross. The light of the world who has brought so much light to so many, he dies in darkness. Even the sun is blotted out as he hangs on the cross and breathes his last. And that just seems wrong. In fact, it's part of why St. Paul calls the gospel folly to those who are perishing in our epistle for the day. If Jesus is light and brings light, how come he dies in darkness? Doesn't make sense. Except it does. Remember that Jesus saves by bearing the sins and infirmities of sinners to the cross. He shoulders their sin and all of its curse, and he gives them his righteousness in return. He exchanges his holiness for their iniquity. In the language of Isaiah, he exchanges his light for their darkness. On the cross, 
He bears the sin of all and dies his death for all. That's an awful lot of sin and death. So it is no longer that there is only darkness there and no light to be found. Oh, but on the third day, on Easter Sunday, the women find his tomb empty when they arrive very early in the morning. A new day has dawned. You live in the shadow of death. It shapes a lot of your life. As I've said before, there's a reason why you stop at red lights, why you check the expiration date on the milk carton, and why you prefer that the person next to you isn't coughing. It takes work to stay unharmed and healthy and fit. It takes work to stay alive. If you stop working at it, you're falling apart before you know it. And even when you do work hard at staying alive, you can't escape age and your body starts to rebel anyway. You live in the shadow of death. That's why you're worried about your kids. That's why when you have that strange new pain or find that little bump, you go worst case scenario pretty easily. It's why when you start to get older, you start to have thoughts you never expected, like whether your life has been significant or the uneasiness that you'll be forgotten. If you spend a lot of time reading popular news sites, progressive or conservative, you'll be convinced that death wins because popular news sites cater to the general public and consider the cross to be folly. So stories are written from the perspective that there is no hope and eventually death does win. Jesus was busy in Zebulun and Naphtali dismantling the darkness, healing by healing, miracle by miracle. Since you've been enlightened by his grace and salvation, the devil, world, and your own sinful flesh are busy trying to rebuild the darkness, sin by sin, fear by fear, worry by worry. They work to convince you that the shadow of death is so dark that there is no light to be found. That's why Jesus' sermon and our gospel lesson is still relevant for you. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Stop buying the lie that death and darkness win. Live life prudently because your body is still subject to sickness and injury in this sin-plagued world as long as you are here. But at the same time, you are here as long as you are because the Lord has given you life and sustains your life. Furthermore, God has already enlivened your soul and given you eternal life. As one redeemed and forgiven, you don't live each day in the fear that death will eventually swallow you up. You live knowing that, thanks to Jesus, death is only a shadow. It's a sleep, not the end. It's still an enemy, but it's an enemy under Jesus' feet and he uses it to deliver his people from this dying world to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In Christ, baptized, you already have eternal life, and in that sense, your death is just your body catching up with your soul. Why is this true? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The kingdom is at hand wherever the king is at hand, and the king is at hand here. Whenever one is baptized at this font by water and the word, the king is at work so that the baptized has died to sin and lives forever. Whenever the absolution is declared in this place, the king sends sin fleeing as surely as he cast out demons, blindness, and leprosy by his word in Zebulun and Naphtali. Whenever the supper is celebrated at this altar, the king is at hand with his body and blood. His same body and blood that was crucified, that rose again, and even now sits enthroned in heaven forever. Each proclamation of the word, each administration of a sacrament is one more bit of winter thawing, one more beam of light into the world, one more ray of dawning sun onto the cold darkness of sin. See, though crucified, risen, and ascended, the king is still at work performing wonders of life and salvation here. Where the world sees only darkening night, by faith, you see light breaking through. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rejoice, for the king of heaven is at hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.